0: And today we're going to talk about respecting people. You see, respecting people is like a high altitude mountain climber who is able to read the signs. Mount Everest is, I don't know, 29,000 plus feet. It is cold, it is dry, it is windy and bright. There it is a lifeless place. It, it, 29 plus thousand feet folks it is very hard to breathe you have about 40 to 60 percent less oxygen at twenty-nine thousand feet as you and i would at sea level when you're at those kind of altitudes there's all kinds of physical and psychological things that are going on you get headaches you have a loss of appetite you you may start vomiting it, your sleep is disturbed, your color changes, but mostly what happens is that you don't think well, and you don't think very quickly. Experienced climbers are constantly reading the signs, physically and psychologically, because they, to reach the summit is a grand idea. It is a great accomplishment. But mountain climbing is to be a round trip thing, right? it's great to reach the summit, but the goal is to return. Getting there, top, is optional, but getting to the back to the bottom is mandatory. Guess what? Relationships are this way. Anybody can have a relationship at sea level, okay? Pretty easy. But to have a successful relationship where you summit and you're able to return, and you can summit and you're able to return, happen as couples, individuals, are able to read the signs. We're going through 1 Corinthians 13, and we're taking a look at the eight signs of love. And today, we're going to take a look at the sign of respect. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says it like this, love is not rude, it is not self-seeking. In other words, it treats other people with respect. Now, this idea of respect is not a new idea that just happened through Paul's teaching. In fact, it happened all the way back in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament taught that we are to respect those who are older. The Old Testament taught us that we need to respect those who have sacrificed our lives for our freedom. The, The Old Testament is taught that we need to respect authority. In Ephesians, in the New Testament, Paul says husbands and wives need to respect one another. Children need to respect their parents. Slaves and masters need to respect one another. That is why when, when I had three boys and they were growing up, we talked a lot about respect. And the reason I did so was because I really wanted them to respect the women that God was going to bring into their lives eventually, okay? So I had a little experience experiment. It was called their mother, Okay. And I taught them how to respect their mom. I want you to take a look at this verse out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show respect for everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Folks, that is our memory verse for the week. God calls us not just to love and respect, so to speak, our own kind. He says, I want you to love everybody. And by the way, I want you to love them always. Now, this brings up the question, what is respect? I I can remember growing up, my mom always talking to me and saying to me, you need to show more respect. That wasn't very respectful at all. And yet nobody took out the time to define what respect is or was for me. Let me give you my working definition that comes from my experience and see if this doesn't ring true for you. Well, you write this down. Respect is showing value and honor to others by your actions. When you dishonor or devalue a person, you could say that you are disrespecting them. In the modern lingo, because I, I hang with uh, Isaac, okay, you diss them. Or the new word is you burn them, okay? You just burn them. You just dissed them. You just disrespected them. You just devalued them. But to respect someone, is to show value and honor. Every person that you and I meet in life has a sign around their neck that says simply this. Do I matter to you? Do I have any worth at all in your estimation? Do you in any way honor and esteem who I am? Now my question to you is this, if that sign is hanging around your neck, and therefore hanging around everyone else's neck, my question to you is, do they feel better or worse after they've left your presence? Because that will tell you whether you have respected them. Do they feel inspired, valued, respected, or do they feel worse? Do they feel diminished and unappreciated? Folks, there are some people in my life that when I am with them, I am inspired. I feel replenished. I feel renewed. There are others that diminish me, that when I leave their presence, I am one worn-out puppy. I found this true to be with animals. I used to have a dog. It was Winston, okay? It was a girl dog, but I called it Winston. No wonder it had a mixed up personality, but it was an English bulldog. And when I came home, I mean, her whole body just shook, and that little stub of fidelity was just going wild like that, okay? It was in essence saying, You shelter me, you love me, you feed me. You must be God. I respect you. Cats, on the other hand, say the same thing, but they say, I'm God. Who in the world are you, okay? Now that I've disburnt, all the cat lovers here, you can email Holly Elliott, okay? And she'll be glad to take your complaints. Anyway, Jesus Christ, folks, was absolutely the best at seeing the signs of respect around people's lives. He was absolutely the best at showing value and honor to other people. When people left his presence, they valued, they felt valued. And he did it through his words and he did it mostly through his actions. And we're gonna take a look at a story today. It's one of my favorite stories out of Luke chapter seven. So I want you to hold your seats because this is kind of a long story, okay? Let me read this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to him or to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation and sat down to eat. A certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, I want you to circle that word expensive because we're gonna come back to that in a second here, okay? Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Now, let me help you with a little context here. Back then, they didn't have tables that were, I don't know, about waist high. They didn't have these bistro tables. They had very low tables where they leaned on their side and leaned towards the table with their feet behind them. And what is happening is this woman comes up behind Jesus, and she's crying. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, in other words, he didn't say it out loud. He's just thinking this. This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, I didn't have enough room for uh, for the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, okay? Uh, So I left it off, but let me read it to you so you can take some notes. In verse 40, he says, Jesus spoke up and answered the Pharisee's thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, Simon, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my heat. That was just a courtesy back then. You just did that. She washed them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, another common courtesy of the day. But she has kissed my feet again and again from the first time I came in. You neglected the courtesy of putting olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, Simon, her sins, though they are many, have been forgiven, and so she loves me much. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You see, in this story... We see four signs that are hanging around every person's neck that you have ever met in your life. And Jesus saw them all. I say this, if you're really going to summit in a relationship and return and be able to be successful going round trip, you need to learn the signs of respect that everyone has. And the first sign is this, the stop sign. Now, we all know and recognize what that means in traffic, on the road. But the stop sign relationally means this, stop and listen. Stop talking and listen. As I look at this story, it occurs to me that Jesus was a great listener. He listened to Simon so well that he knew his thoughts. He didn't express them. He knew them. He could just read the situation but he especially listened to this woman now as you read this story it's obvious this woman didn't say a word not one but jesus listened to her wouldn't you agree that this woman was saying something through her actions though she not though she didn't utter one word she was communicating something wouldn't you agree that listening Starts with the eyes first. Eyes has everything to do with light. Light travels one million times faster than sound. Eyes help us to see what is in another person's eyes. And that communicates something. Then it helps us to feel what may be in their heart. Jesus is listening in the moments of silence. Because this woman was speaking loudly. She was speaking in her tears. She was speaking in her service. She was speaking in the service of washing and kissing his feet. She had a message for Jesus, and it appeared that that Jesus was the only one listening in the room. Paul writes about this. Paul writes about this in regards to Titus as he was welcomed by the Corinthians. Look at this word. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians uh, 7, verse 15. Titus remembers the way you listened to him and welcomed him. We use circle, listened and welcomed him with such respect and deep concern. Titus felt respected because he was welcomed properly, because he was listened to. I want to ask you this question, how good of a listener are you? Do people feel that you are there when they are in your presence? Or can they see in your eyes through your body language that you've just checked out? Or are they whispering under their breath, would you just please shut up for a moment and listen to me? You ever had those discussions? You need to be fight night. I'm telling you, Cheryl and I are going to be there with our kids, okay, because I want to know how to defeat her. No. (laughs) Random thought, random thought. Get rid of that. Have we not been in those situations? Will you stop giving me advice? Will you stop rambling? Will you stop being the hog of the conversation? Will you please just stop and listen? Some of us don't come up for breath. I've discovered this in teaching all my boys many years ago how to drive, okay? When I taught them how to drive, they learned my driving sins. And the, the one who is the sharpest is Aaron. No surprise today that he works for a big transport company, Stevens Transport, and is a safety director. When I was teaching him how to drive and he was watching me, he would say, Dad, you didn't come to a complete stop. You just rolled through that intersection. I would look him in the eyes. I am your father. You do as I say and and not as I do, okay? No, I share this story because that's what we do in conversations with other people, don't we? We just roll right on to the next subject matter. We don't even come up for air. John Ortberg, nationally known Christian speaker, writing about uh, relational intelligence, said this. I love this story. Years ago, my parents and I were stuck in a room with a woman and her eight-year-old son as we each waited for a family member to show up on family day at college. For one hour, this woman did not stop talking. You ever been there? She made Don King look like an introvert. And it's not because we weren't sending her signals, because we were. Nobody was nodding at her. Our bodies were facing the other direction. She... Could not stop talking. It was as if she had taken some powerful verbal laxative. Finally, after an hour of this, her daughter came upstairs and into the room. The woman stood up and said, Gotta go. But she kept on talking the whole way out the door. I've got so many things to do, she told us, who didn't care at all. I've got errands to run. I've got dinners to fix. I've got to go pick up your dad. And oh, yes, I've got to get some buttons. Her eight-year-old son spoke the only words he said the whole hour. He looked at his mother and said, Mother, you need a button for your mouth. We all felt this was a prompting of the Holy Spirit in this child's life. Let me give you an idea. When you go home, go into that sewing drawer that you have, okay? Get a button, put it in your, to- uh, in your pocket. Because value starts as you and I stop and we listen. The second sign that is around, people's necks, that Jesus saw on this woman is the no U-turn sign. And we all know what that means. We've seen that at intersections because here, you know, they could be lights and you can make U-turns on some of them, but sometimes they got a sign, no U-turns. But what this means relationally is this, keep your promises. If you tell people you're going to do such and such, then you do such and such. If you tell people, I'm going to go in this direction, you don't make any U-turns. It's interesting, as you read this story of Jesus' encounter with this woman and this woman with Jesus, that you you find a remarkable promise, and it is this. Your sins are forgiven. And you want to know something? Jesus keeps his promises Let me ask you this. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? Breaks your heart, doesn't it? Did it make you feel honored when that happened? Respected? I doubt it. Rather, it made you feel discounted and disrespected. Our words are powerful. When we make promises, people expect us to follow through. God speaks of this. Through Solomon, he said this in Proverbs 25, 14. People who promise things that they never give are the clouds and wind that bring no rain. In other words, there's no refreshment. There's no replenishing. Jesus said it another way on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, keep your word. I really think that most of the time, Truly, in our culture, we break our promises not because we don't want to keep our promises, but rather is because we make them too quickly. And we don't know our calendars, we don't know our schedules, and we don't plan ahead. And as a result, we make promise here, promise there, and over, I don't know, three, four years, a lot of promises have been broken. The Bible talks about this. Take a look at Proverbs 3. Good planning and insight fill you with life, and they bring you honor and what? Respect. Have you ever noticed how valuable promises are to kids? They're extremely valuable. This last Thanksgiving, we were around the table, and I don't know if the grandkids were there or not, but as we were walking out, Layla, my oldest granddaughter, Uh, said, Grandpa, when are you going to take us to Disney World? You promised. And I looked down at her. I said, that was your grandmother. I said, no, I I agree. Guess what? We're going to do it in November. I know it's November now, and it's a year away, but we're going to do it in November, 7th through the 11th, and we've already got it booked. Promises are valuable to kids. When you make a commitment to your kid, they will say, do you promise? And you say, yes. Cross your heart and hope to die, sure. Stick a needle in your eye. I don't know. Folks, they value promises. I've often wondered if I should do this. I'm doing a wedding, July 1. If I should do it with the groom and the bride. Do you promise? your heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye and pull out the needles right here, okay? What would that look like if we did that at business meetings? Well, I would have you and I know that God modeled this. Folks, he keeps all of his promises from Genesis all the way through Revelation. In Genesis, he made some promises to Noah. He said, you know what, I'm gonna flood the earth, but after I flood it this time, it's never gonna be flooded again, and I'm gonna give you a sign of this promise. It's a rainbow, and it's never flooded since. He came to Abraham and says, you're gonna have a kid. And at 99 and 89, God revisits them again and says, you're having the kid this coming year. And they did. They were the only couple folks that were found at Target buying the pens and diapers at the same time, okay? But he said, I'm going to give you a sign of this promise. It's circumcision. And Abraham thought, why did Noah get a rainbow and I got circumcision? I don't know, okay? I think I got the short end of the stick. You did. (laughs) God promised through the prophets again and again and again that he would send a Savior. That who would love us who would forgive us, and who would guide us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that at Christmas time. When Jesus was on this earth, he made it perfectly clear, I am here to fulfill the Father's promise that you are loved, that I will guide you, and that I will forgive you if you trust in me. And he sealed that promise called the new covenant. And there's four covenants in the old Bible. But the new covenant not crossing his heart and hoping to die. He died. And when you and I see a cross, when you and I remember the Lord through the elements, the Lord's Supper, communion, do we not feel valued? I loved you so much that I died for you. The third sign that is around People's necks that Jesus saw on this woman is the yield sign. And we all know the yield sign in traffic. Uh, those are the kinds of men you hope there's no traffic so you can just coast right on, on through it. But a yield sign in a relationship is this, yield your rights and serve. Have you not found, out, found this to be true? When others want to be first, when they want all the attention, when, when they want everybody serving them, the people that are around that individual don't feel respected. They feel manipulated and used. But if somebody puts aside their rights and then serves them, they feel like their life matters. In this story of Luke chapter 7, this woman offers up a very tender picture of service. Without a word, without mentioning the value of her, of her actions, without thinking of her expenses, without thinking of the shame that she knew that she was going to experience to walk into that room, she just comes to Jesus' feet and she serves him. Have you ever have you ever had someone serve you like that, where they scrambled to the lowest place possible to lift you up? I'll never forget, some time ago, there was a time in my life, it was chaotic, I was worn out, and I was just wanting to get away with Cheryl. And some person, not verbalizing that, just kinda of sensed that, and came up to me and says, George, you know, I, God just put it on my heart, I, just to pray for you, George. And I said, well, thank you. I mean, I'm the one that generally people come to me and want prayers for, and this person just, out of the blue, and they weren't a professional, they didn't knew, know anything of my inner and outer world that was going on, but they just came and said, I want to pray for you. I said, oh, great. cool, oh God, I'll, I'll take it, okay? Two weeks later, I got a note from them that says, you know what? I just know that you're stressed. Here's two round trip tickets to anywhere in the United States that you want to go. Get away with your wife. Decompress. I called them up, and I said, could I exchange those for cash? <laughs> no, just kidding. I said, thank you. Thank you. I felt so honored. Take a look at what Paul says about this. This is a beautiful verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Will you circle those two words? Spend and expend. I will spend my resources and then I will expend myself. That is a beautiful verse on respect. Now, I would have you know that I get a close-up look every day of my life of a servant through my wife. And I know that what I'm about to share is going to embarrass her, but I'm going to brag on her anyway because truly for 42 years, I have seen my wife serve me selflessly. 42 years ago, before we had kids, I can remember at the dinner table, and we have family over, you know, before you have kids, it's really, you have a lot more social time, and so they were all around it. And when it would come to the last piece of food, Cheryl would say, well, that's the last piece of food. You know what? I'm already full. Who wants it? And everyone would go for that fry, last piece of fried chicken. Today, after 42 years, guess what? I still see the same thing, but the food has changed To tofu. And now the kids say, no, mm, oh, we'll pass, okay? You can have it, Mom. <laughs> but she wants everybody to feel comfortable. She never fights for the remote control. She never argues about what I would like to watch over TV. I know she loves HGTV, Tiny House, Redecorate, Flip Flop, all these different shows. But when I come in, I like to watch the History Channel. And I know that you might take this wrong, but she goes to bed with Hitler every night, Okay? She's always the first to get up. If we've got some big thing going on uh, the next day, she's either the first to get up or the last one to go to bed to make sure everything is right so that we can hit the ground running. She's the first to always answer the phone. I hate answering the phone because it's another crisis that's gonna keep me on for a half hour or more. In these small acts of service, I, I feel honored. And what is so amazing is this, is that she doesn't score keep. You see, true service doesn't keep score. And yet our culture does. I did this for you, you do this for me. I did this, you do that. I have seen so many shallow friendships, so many shallow relationships, so many shallow marriages that are built on that kind of selfishness. And that's exactly what it is. It is not yielding and it is not serving. Now, what does yielding then and and serving look like? Well, in this story, it looks like this. It looks like common courtesy. Did you hear or see the difference, the sharp comparison between the lack of courtesy of Simon the Pharisee and the courtesy of this woman that Jesus pointed out? He's just saying, you know what? If you're going to show respect, you can just do it through common courtesy. And this woman did that. You see, why is it that we act courteous in the early days of our relationships but as the months and years go by you can't find it in our relationship at all maybe you were married to your spouse and early on you used to open the door for them but now after months and years have gone by they stand by the door and you look at them and you're thinking but you got a broken arm what's up okay why is it that we stop serving after we get married Service is a mark of courtesy. Truly another way that that we serve is marked by doing your very best. Folks, when you and I serve reluctantly, that's not service at all. But when we do our best for others, it shows that we are wanting to serve and that they really, really, really matter to us. That is why I had you circle the word expensive. This woman didn't come just to get by. No, she, I'm sure she had other types of cheaper perfumes, okay, on the vanity of her dresser, but she wanted to go to the Son of God and give her very best. Folks, this is one of the ways that you show value and honor to God. You give him your very best. And when you come, it's not that you come with perfection because, folks, none of us can do that. God knows we're human, that we're imperfect. And he doesn't expect us to offer perfection. What he asks us to offer is our very best. God's people of old forgot about this. In the very last book of Malachi, or the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God brings this to his people's attention. And what I would have us know is that Malachi is the last Old Testament book, the, really the last Old Testament prophet, and there was a 400-year gap, silence to God's people until John the Baptist showed up because they had an attitude, eh, we're just going to offer him our leftovers. Let me read this to you. The Lord Almighty says, I am your father and master. But where are the honor and the respect that I deserve? You have despised my name. And as you read the rest of the chapter, God's people say, well, how have we despised your name? And God responds, well, you've despised me by offering defiled sacrifices. Well, what kind of defiled sacrifices are you talking about? Well, those crippled lambs. That you're offering me. You're just offering me the leftovers. And if that's the way it's going to be. Just forget about it. God withdrew. For 400 years. Now remember. God does not expect. Perfection. We're human. But he does expect us to offer our best. So let me ask you this. To those that you say you love, are they getting your best or are they getting their leftovers? When it comes to God, do you just give chump change to God at the offering time? At the singing time, do you, did you sing in such a way, hey God, you really matter to me? During the teaching time, was your attitude, God, I want to do it your way? You see, worship isn't about us. It is about you and I taking our imperfection and offering God our very best. It is getting our eyes off of ourselves and it's getting our eyes on to him. And that is what service is about, isn't it? It is about getting our eyes off of ourselves and putting it on someone else. It's not about my dreams and my hopes and my aspirations, but rather it is about someone else's dreams and someone else's hopes and someone else's aspirations. It is about me offering to them my very best, of who I am and what I have. I saw a dramatic sketch of this. It was a funny sketch of a a leader and an assistant and this le- this assistant was having, uh, this leader was having, uh, they were discouraged because no one was responding to their leadership. And this assistant leader had the courage to come up to him and says, Well, you know what? Early on in our relationship, you challenged us. That it was about uh, one for all and all for one. You used the words we, us, and team. But now all you use is me, myself, and I. And to be honest with you, nobody around here wants to give their life just so that you can put another pin on your chest and that hit me how about you does your life communicate that it's all about you your dreams your your desires your goals in life or do you show others their value by being there for them if you do that's called service and at the end of the day you know what that's also called that's called respect. The fourth sign around everyone's neck that you and I need to see, we got to read the signs correctly, is this, a S- uh, scenic route. You see, for most of us, as we're traveling physically in life from destination A to destination B, we're going to get there, okay? I mean, my philosophy was with th- this, guess what? We're not pulling over until your bladder's full and the gas tank's empty. That's just the rules, okay? And yet when you see a sign driving physically, scenic lookout, scenic tour, in essence it's saying, slow down and take a look at this. It's worth looking at. Relationally, it means this. Will you write this down? Slow down. Take the time to see how God sees me. Get beyond the obvious Get beyond the externals. See the real worth in me. There was a movie that portrayed this theme. Maybe you saw it. It was out not too long ago. It it may still be on Netflix now or in Redbox. Uh, The movie Hidden Figures. Remember that show? Three African-American women working at NASA, being overlooked about the talents that they possessed internally. Until Al Harrison, Kevin Costner came along and he looked beyond the obvious and he saw the worth of those three ladies that helped put a man in space. Now I want you to take a look at these next two verses and I want you to bring them together. Romans 12, 16, and Ephesians 4, 2. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. There is a controversial discussion going on in our culture today over the word profiling. And I understand the national implications for this. But to be really honest with you, I don't like that word. And yet, as I look introspectively, and I think may be true of all of us, as we look introspectively and we're honest with our lives, we do this all the time, don't we? We diminish people, maybe because of some physical trait, maybe because of some personality quirk, maybe because of some economic status or educational background, or maybe just because of the color of their skin. We overlook people, and in our minds, we think that they are less than us. And I can tell you this, when when that happens in me, I absolutely hate it. There's a story of a stutterer who was trying who applied for a job to sell bibles door to door. And the manager who met him said, hey, "You got to be you're a joke. Get out of here, okay?" But this this person was, was uh, persistent. And so this manager thought, "Okay, I'll give you a 1-month trial." And that first month he sold he outsold everyone else in the company. The second month He outsold again everyone else in the company. The third month, he broke record sales, and this manager came to him and says, What is your secret? And he said, Well, I go up to a door, and and I ask him, Would would you like to buy a Bible, or would you like for me to read it? Now, I would never tell a story to make fun of anybody other than David. I share this story to make this point. It's the person that you and I overlook that's gonna be the successful ones. There was a person in the Bible who was a stutterer. His name was Moses, and everybody overlooked him, but God saw his potential and made him the spokesperson that would stand before Pharaoh himself to deliver God's people out from his hands. There was a guy in the Bible who was a flake, who was undependable, who was faithless, and his name was Simon, but Jesus saw in him a rock and called him Peter. Now, there's no doubt in this story that everyone saw this woman at best as an interruption, at worst, a whore. But Jesus saw her differently. He saw her as a worshiper. He saw her as a daughter of the king. So as we get ready to wrap up this message, we get ready to to leave this protected world, to go out into the real world, I want to ask you this. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, help me to see people as you see them. Help me to see beyond the obvious, God. Help me to see beyond their flops, their failures, and their fumbles. Help me to see one who loves much because I've been forgiven much. I was reading a story about a, an artist that was singing a particular song. And as they began this song, at the first few words, a person out of the crowd was able to get up on stage and stand beside her before the, the guards or the security noticed as they were coming up on stairs to remove her from the stage, the, 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 the artist, continuing to sing the words, just kind of waved them off and finished the song called In Heaven's Eyes. In heaven's eyes, there are no losers. In heaven's eyes, there are no hopeless causes. That woman who was on stage had a mental and physical was mentally and physically challenged. What a neat song for her to have heard and in essence be sung to. I think that's a song that we need to hear. We need to see that we have a Savior who honors us, who values us, who says, i have forgiven. Give me your best. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today for this weekend again. For Memorial Day. I think of my dad and I think of my my father-in-law who served in the Korean War and in World War II who put their lives on the line, and how you you have called us as a nation to respect, to show honor, and to show value. And today, God, we do as a nation. But remind us, God, that you gave the ultimate. You gave your very life, that we would know that we are loved, that we would know that we are forgiven, that we would know that you value enough to lead and guide us as we just face different challenges in life. May we be those, God, like we do in our culture to offer the very best to you, to spend and to be expended for you, for your cause. God, remind us of that. As we walk out these doors, God, I know for myself, it's so easy to get caught up in my own thoughts. The only, all these things that are going on in my world, when you bring people into my life that you would want me just to stop, to listen to, to see them for who they really are. God, help us. Help us to do that right here within these walls. Help us to do that within our families, God. We need your help. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've not made a relationship with Christ, but I can just tell you this. He loves you. He died for you. Will you give your life to him? By just simply saying this, God, I admit, I've blown it. I'm human. But I believe you loved me so much to die for my sins, and you resurrected from the grave to prove that what you said, I can take to the bank so right now, I'm giving you my best. I'm giving you my life. And if you prayed that prayer, would you just let me know? I'd love to get you some literature, email it to you. Just give me your your email address on the communication card, your name, so I can email you and get you some things that will help you get going in your new journey with Christ. Well, Lord, we give you this. Be with us this weekend. Through your Spirit, remind us of these things.